Hey, Jacob here. There's some strong language that is used at the beginning of this episode that is spoken by me. I feel it's appropriate, but I just wanted to make you aware if you weren't into that sort of thing or if you were my grandma and didn't want to know. Okay, so we got our groceries. It started to rain while we were loading it up. That's my beautiful wife, Catherine, and she's talking about a day earlier this year where something terrible happened. We were out running errands, she was driving, and on our way home, as we were on the interstate, it started to pour. So all the cars around us started to slow down a little bit, which placed a semi directly on our left. To our right was a concrete wall. I didn't want to be between the semi and the wall, so I kind of started to speed up a little bit to get ahead of the semi. But on this stretch of highway, water was starting to pool up. And as my wife was trying to pass this truck... Hit a puddle and started to hydroplane. As we were sliding, I remember looking to my left and watching a semi come at us. It's a strange feeling seeing a loved one in between you and such a powerful force of destruction. It is an incredibly helpless feeling. And then... I remember broken glass, the police asking me questions, and the look of terror on my wife's face. We rode with a talkative man in a tow truck to a junkyard. Our car was totaled. We were sore and dazed, but somehow very much alive. That night we were going to go over to my wife's brother's house to wind down and be fed a meal. We were just trying to be normal despite the traumatizing thing that had just happened. But when I grabbed my keys to leave, there was a moment. My wife gave me this look with tears in her eyes, like, I need you right now. I walked over like a magnet, drawn into a hug. And not a normal hug, a holy shit, we're alive hug. In a scared voice, my wife said, I thought I killed us. Then something happened that has never happened in our almost eight years of marriage. We both lost it completely. Now to be clear, I am a crier. I've shed plenty of tears over the years, and so has she. But one person is always playing a role, either of support or maybe even the reason why the other person is crying. But this time, we were both just lost in it. As we hugged, I could feel breath rise and fall in her chest. She was alive. I was alive. It was a reminder that we are so incredibly fragile and that every breath is precious. I'm Jacob Lewis, and from Nashville Public Radio, you're listening to Neighbors, a show about what connects us. Today, the story of a little girl who has learned to hold very precious something that we all take for granted. Our next breath. Um, well, my name is Hannah, and I really like gymnastics, and I can almost do a handstand. Hannah is seven years old. She lives with her family in East Nashville, and she can almost do a handstand. You want to show me? Here she goes. Taking off her jacket. That was awesome. And I can't do a one-handed cartwheel. Oh, are you serious? Mm-hmm. Where's your cup here? And I got some new sour cream. Do you 
grab it? I don't know where it is. It's almost time for dinner, and her mom, Bonnie, is finishing up. We're having Peruvian quinoa stew. Dude, that looks good. Yeah. After a delicious meal and hearing about everyone's day, it's time for Hannah to go upstairs and get ready for bed. She changes into some pink pajamas, and her mom, Bonnie, tucks her in. You ready for bed? Yawning. Did you tell everyone good night? It's only, no. It's 8.15? 16. Okay. Did you tell everyone good night? Uh-uh. You want to tell Hannah good night? Hannah's 10-year-old brother walks in the room. Matthew. He's skinny with curly hair. <laughs> good night. <laughs> good night. <laughs> Also, can't forget the cat. Good night, Luna. And Hannah's dad, Josh. Good night, princess. Good night. Your head touched that. Hannah's room has books and a bunch of stuffed animals. But there's one thing that sets her room apart from most seven-year-olds. What is this thing? It's my ventilator, and it helps me breathe. Because when I was three years old, I um, stopped breathing, and I had to go to a hospital. The beginning of her story is quite dramatic. When Hannah was a toddler, Bonnie took her and her brother Matthew on a trip to Tulsa, Oklahoma to visit some family. And Saturday, we got up and went to the farmer's market, and it got up to 115 degrees that day. The fact that it was hot is only really important because when they saw that Hannah was acting sluggish, it made sense. Everyone felt that way. So they decided to call it a day and head back to the hotel. And had the strangest night. All night long, she was just screaming and uncomfortable, and it was, it was just really bizarre. And we got up the next day, and she was almost unresponsive. Bonnie took Hannah to the ER, where the doctors measured the oxygen levels in her blood. I saw the look pass between these two, you know, EMTs, whatever, ER doctors, nurses, and I knew that there, that there was something really wrong. They gave Hannah an oxygen mask, thinking that would help. But the next morning... Her CO2 level was so high that it was nearly incompatible with life. This is not supposed to happen. This should have solved the problem. So the doctors take her to the ICU. They give her a breathing tube that forces her to take breaths, unlike the oxygen mask that they gave her before. But no one knows why this is happening. And while all this is going on, Bonnie's husband, Josh, he's still back in Nashville. I think I was watching the, I think it may have been the seventh Harry Potter movie. So I came home and uh, rented a car and drove all night and got to Tulsa and when I, got there, um, I was shocked. My vibrant, like, happy little girl was like a shell. She was pale and her, her cheeks were sunken in and she just didn't, she didn't look like the girl that, you know, that I was used to seeing. They were in the ICU in Tulsa for two weeks. And during that time, no one diagnosed Hannah officially with anything. But there were some guesses. So one doctor had come in overnight in Tulsa and said, really offhandedly, I will never forget this. She said, looks like Ondine's curse to me. That name, Ondine, O-N-D-I-N-E, comes from a fairy tale. It has many versions, but here's one. 
Undine was a forest nymph. She was beautiful and immortal. But like most of her kind, she was very cautious of humans. One day, a man sees her in the woods. He's overcome by her beauty and falls in love immediately. But he's engaged to another woman. However, he is so smitten with Undine, he leaves his fiancée just for the chance to woo Undine. He's relentless and eventually wins her over. They get married. On their wedding day, the man vows that he will declare his love for her with every waking breath. Now, I'm sure, as everybody knows, if a forest nymph has a child with a mortal, they must give up their own immortality. Ondine decides that it's worth it, and they have a kid together. Ondine becomes mortal and starts to age. And the man's love for her begins to fade as she loses her youth. One day, he's walking near a barn, and he sees his ex-fiancée. Thinking about his life, he tells her he regrets his decision to leave her, and they have a passionate affair right there in the barn. Undine was eagerly searching for her husband to share something their child had just done when she walks in on the two together. She's outraged, remembering that her husband had pledged to confess his love for her with every waking breath. She curses him so that waking breath would be all he ever had. If he went to sleep, he would stop breathing and die. But for a lot of people, Undine's curse isn't a fairy tale. It is a genetic disorder called CCHS, congenital central hypoventilation syndrome. And the doctors have no idea if that's what's causing Hannah's problems or not. I was reading about this condition and thinking, this is impossible. Like, we can't do this. Like, I don't see how anybody can live, you know, on a ventilator for the rest of their life. But miraculously, Hannah started to get better. They got a medical flight to a hospital back home in Nashville. They did some more tests, but she seemed fine again. They thought whatever it was had passed, so they threw a party for her. She's been healed. Everything is okay. Life started to get back to normal for a couple weeks when Bonnie got a call from Hannah's pediatrician. And said, you need to come into the office. I need to talk to you about something. And I sort of knew, like, that's a really weird call. So we come in, and she's got the gene results from the lab. They said that Hannah had a genetic mutation on her FOX2B gene. It was CCHS. When she goes to sleep, her brain stops telling her to breathe. Find out what happens next after the break. I had done all that reading about CCHS and, you know, (laughs) all those nights in the ICU when I couldn't sleep. And I knew exactly what we were facing. And Josh is just like, oh, okay, all right. Well, now we have a diagnosis. That's good. You know, we can deal with that. And I'm just thinking, oh, no. (laughs) Like, this this just changes everything. There are about a thousand diagnosed cases of CCHS in the world. It's really rare, which means a lot of doctors aren't super familiar with it, and there aren't any local support groups that Bonnie can just show up to. So she started researching online and found this thing called the CCHS Family Network. They had a Facebook group and a sign-up on their website. So Bonnie registered, and then something really improbable happened. A woman in Tennessee named Liz 
got an email. Saying that there is a family in my area who has a child who has CCHS, and would I reach out to them? Liz's daughter, Carmen, has the disorder. And I immediately saw their address in the um, registration, and I was like, wait a minute, what? They, they live like a mile away. Well, I know somebody else that has CCHS, and her name is Carmen. Carmen lives practically down the street, and like Hannah, she needs a ventilator at night. But Carmen uses a breathing tube that goes directly into her neck. What, what do you think of that, knowing uh, Hannah and Matthew? I think it's, um, like, really cool to know somebody who knows what, what feelings that I feel in the condition and, like, what I have to do before I can go to sleep. Carmen is four years older than Hannah and just so happened to be in the same school and grade as Hannah's older brother. By the time Hannah went to that school, the school nurse knew exactly how to take care of her and what signs to look for. And it gets even crazier. Hannah's dad and Carmen's dad worked at the same place. Liz and others from the CCHS network helped Bonnie know what to do. Things like what kind of ventilator to get important things that potentially helped save Hannah's life. And Hannah's mom, Bonnie, needed that support. Anyone who's ever worn a CPAP mask, you know that it's it, it's a suffocating feeling. It's supposed to be helping you breathe, but you feel like somebody is trying to stop your breathing. And so she was just fighting us for about a month. It was, it was heartbreaking as parents. Um, but, you know, we had to stay the course because that was... Life support. It is life support for her. Um, And it was just, you know, not optional. Liz made a comment to Bonnie that she's like, you'll never sleep well again. (laughs) Or something along that line. I can't remember exactly what it was that she said. But it was basically like, your sleep will suffer for the rest of your life. (laughs) And she was coming at it from a place that I fully understand now. And I, I think if you asked her again, maybe she would have softened it a little bit. But uh, <laughs> but it prepared us in a way, and it scared us too, but it's been true. I can turn it up a little bit. But that's the whoosh that I, I have all night. <laughs> Bonnie holds up a video monitor that she carries around when Hannah goes to bed. So that's sort of the norm sound for me at night. It's like the waves on the beach or something. You're just sort of used to it. And then when the alarm comes through here, it's pretty loud. And it wakes me up. Sometimes Hannah moves in the middle of the night and accidentally pulls off her mask. Or crimps her ventilator tube with her leg and sets off an alarm. One that Bonnie has to constantly be listening for to avoid fatal consequences. Our son is, you know, a typical kid, so I know what it feels like to put him to bed and to just close the door and or even to peek on him later and see he's just sleeping peacefully. And I, I feel that sense of release with him at night. I mean, if you're a couple, that's a great time. That's when you reconnect, you know. So, um, so that is a little bit trickier because um, there's always that awareness. You always have to be... Um, vigilant. Really, while Hannah's awake, I don't worry about her 75, 80% of the time. 
when the, I mean, when the sun goes down and it's getting to bedtime, then no, there's, there's not a time when we're not aware, if not, you know, worrying. We don't like go out on dates at night, you know, um, because we can train someone on, on her needs, but then there are so many sort of nuances and little things that can happen that are just impossible to tell someone about. So this is what it sounds like when the air is just blowing through and when it meets some resistance, it starts actually giving breaths. So we're gonna put on her mask now. Can sit up? It's bedtime again and Hannah's in her pink pajamas. Do you want to say anything to him with your mask on? I don't know. <laughs> what did you have for breakfast again? Waffle and sausage. Is this, hey, is this ever, like, scary or is it? Um, it's not that scary since it's, um, normal to me. I've been doing it for a couple of years. Almanzo drove slowly as he told Laura of the 80-acre field of wheat he had sown. Bonnie reads to Hannah while she falls asleep. Right now they're going through the little house on the prairie books. They're on these happy golden years, the one where Laura and Almanzo get married. When Josh and Bonnie had their first kid, they decided they were going to be free-range parents. Let Matthew ride his bike a certain distance from the house, walk to school by himself, scrape up his knees. But then things changed. I asked Josh what his main emotion is when he thinks about Hannah having CCHS. Yeah, it's not joy. It, it's certainly not joy, um, and it's not sadness. I mean, we don't we don't mourn for what we have or what we might have had. Um, for me, it's anger. I mean, I I'm angry that this little like six year old kid has to deal with this. I can remember this like feeling once we got the genetic test back. It's really rare that you just have this mutation that comes out of nowhere. Um, but once you have it, you have a 50-50% chance of passing it on to your own kids. And when that realization came to me that, oh, she's going to have to decide whether she wants to have kids and to pass this on to her own kids, it broke my heart. And... Um, that still really upsets me that she's going to have that decision. But it's, it's different now that we've le- lived with it for four years, five years. Once the uncertainty is over and once you sort of get into a groove, it's, it's not so terrible. It's, it's, you know, it's not normal. It'll, it'll never feel normal. But... It's, it's, it's her life. It's the life that we know now. And like, I feel like she's going to come to that decision with all of this knowledge. And she'll be able to make that decision for herself. I think that the experience has taken away a lot of the the rough edges that were more selfish on me. So, um, and that can be good and bad, you know. Um, There can come a point when you have given too much away, you know, you don't have anything left for yourself. Um, I've probably 
been there a couple times, but um, but then there are times when you need to be just really outwardly focused, and I feel like I can do that in a much better way now than I was ever able to before. Jesus loves me, this I know. After reading, Bonnie sings Hannah a few songs as she falls asleep. Obviously, I was recording this, so I was sitting there. It was an incredibly intimate moment. And I found myself focusing on my breath and thinking, it's pretty remarkable. When I go home, I have the confidence that I'll get in bed, go unconscious, and wake up the next day just fine. But seeing this little girl fog up a ventilator mask as she drifted off, I couldn't help but be in awe of every breath. Everyone I take, Hannah takes, my wife, everybody I know and love, everybody I don't, we're alive and every breath is precious. Neighbors is from Nashville Public Radio and produced by me, Jacob Lewis. The show's editors are Mac Linebaugh, Emily Siner, and Anita Bug. Neighbors is a member of The Herd Collective. Learn more at theherdradio.com. That's H-E-A-R-D. It's clever. Music in this episode by Chris Zabriskie, Pottington Bear, Kevin McLeod, and this song by Jason Goforth. If you like the show, please leave a review in iTunes. It goes a long way to helping others discover the show. I'm Jacob Lewis, and I'm reminding you to get to know your neighbors. Mm-hmm.